A Father's Love, next on The Balanced Word. The role of a father is tricky, but a father who's really a father, they would gladly give their life for you, and you'd be surprised. See, I didn't know you cared that much, but that's our God. And so to me, when I look at this chapter, it just it gave me a lot of thoughts about my dad, gives me a lot of thoughts about me as a dad, and about so many other people who fill those kinds of roles. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hands, and the instrument I play, wake up my voice, let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Welcome once again to The Balanced Word with Dave Rolfe. We're in the midst of our kingdom building series, and we'll have another look at 2 Samuel chapter 18 today. As we hear the very sad end to Absalom's life today, we'll look at it from his father David's perspective. Remember, Absalom has been out to kill his father, so you might think David is happy and relieved to receive the news that his son is now dead. But as you'll hear in a moment, David was heartbroken. That may seem irrational, but that's a father's love, and also reminiscent of God's love for us. Here's Pastor Dave to explain. Ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So he stabbed him, but then he got ten other people to be poking him too. Kind of like a, um, you know, when you when you execute someone by a firing squad, you have a bunch of people shooting, and that way nobody could say, "Yeah, I'm the one that actually killed him." So he ended up dead. And then Joab, in verse 16, blew the trumpet, said, "Okay, it's over." It was over because Absalom was dead. They understood that. Absalom is the, is the thing that stands in the way of success and failure in this war. And so they took Absalom and they put a big heap of stones over him. And in, look at verse 18. It's kind of interesting. Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. He had a place that he made a little monument for him, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's monument. It's kind of weird because earlier we read that Absalom had three kids at least, two sons and a daughter. I don't know what happened to them. It's like, it doesn't tell us. It's interesting. But by this time, he is apparently no longer a father. And he's like, all I have left is the monument that I am going to leave. And so he did. So then they're like, how do we tell David? And so, first of all, Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, who was one of the priests, came and said, hey, let me run after the Cushite. He had sent this Cushite to go, you go tell David, but... You don't have to give him all the information, but also the Cushite isn't Jewish, so if he gets killed, oh well, life is tough. But then here the priest's son is going, let me go and get there after him. But he was way faster. And so as they ran, David's looking, the watchman's looking. They're like, there's two guys coming. And David goes, oh, that must be good news. And he goes, one of them looks like, you know, the priest. And he's like, huh. So he ends up running faster, and he comes and said, and David's like, he's a good man. I'm sure this is good news. So he goes, hey, all is well. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? That's all he cares about. Did my son survive? Not about his armies, not about anything else. 
Ahimeaz answered in verse 29, When Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. So he goes, I don't know. I'm not sure. I saw a bunch of activity, but I don't really know what it means. He knew what it meant, but he's trying to let David down easy. Kind of like that old story of the, the family that, you know, they went to vacation in Hawaii and they left their neighbor in charge of watching their cat. The first day in Hawaii, they get a phone call. Hey, your cat got killed. And they're like, you just ruined my whole vacation. Why couldn't, why'd you have to tell me like that? They go, well, what would you want me to do? And they said, they said, well, you could have said, hey, the cat's up on the roof and I can't get her down. Then you could call me the next day. I don't know. She's looking kind of hungry. Just make it a little easier. So they go, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So the next day, they're in their hotel room and they get a call. Hey, your mom's up on the roof and we can't get her down. <laughs> So that's kind of what they're doing. Like, well, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure there was a lot of activity. And then this dumb Cushite who doesn't know any better comes and he's like, gets there later. He's all out of breath. And David's like, do you know anything about Absalom? And he goes, oh man, all of your enemies should be like him. Oh, David wasn't, that's not what he wanted to hear. But you look in verse 33, And he says, he was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, went into the closet, and he wept. And as he wept, he said thus, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. A sad end to the life of Absalom, a life that had so much promise, such a complicated relationship And now he's dead and David's heartbroken. And you can't help but be moved by this. It was a no-win situation. But when we judge this situation and when we look back on these men, let's try to be fair. And first of all, put yourself in the place of Absalom. So, oh yeah, he shouldn't have done what he did. He did so much. Well, first of all, Absalom was, he had to grow up being David's son. That's not easy. Can you imagine? He's like 14 and people are like, oh boy, Absalom, you're getting pretty tall. Yeah, I remember when your dad was 14, he killed Goliath. What are you going to be when you grow up? He's like, well, I'm getting my hair done. (laughs) How horrible that must be. And people are waiting like, when are you going to do something? And then when he tries to stick up for what's right, he gets banished from the kingdom. He still doesn't have a conversation with his dad. When he finally gets back, they never really reestablish relationship. He looks at his dad's bad example. And then at the same time, you realize he got horrible advice from his dad's best advisor. Ahithophel dragged him into this because Ahithophel had a death wish. And so Ahithophel is the one that came up with the idea of, hey, you know, if you go molest all of your dad's concubines out in public on pay-per-view, that'll be awesome. Are you kidding? They hated that. People were disgusted by him at that point. He lost so much support. But take it from, you know, from Absalom's perspective. I was listening to the guy that everyone said, when you hear From Ahithophel, it's like you're hearing from God. We saw that in the previous chapter. So he's trying to take the advice that he's trying to take, but also 
you know, let's face it, his relationship with his dad was problematic at best. They certainly didn't understand each other. They rarely communicated. Again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, David was this introvert that was spending time with the Lord and writing poetry and things like that and leading the country. And Absalom's like friendly, outgoing, and great backslapper and a good-looking guy. And so they never really meshed. They never really, I don't think either one of them understood the other because in the end, Absalom really didn't even know his dad. He certainly didn't understand what made his dad tick, that's for sure. But also, this whole thing was set up because of really an impossible command. David ordered his generals to go to battle. Otherwise, we're just going to get killed. They're going to come and slaughter us. So you go fight the battle as experienced warriors against rookies and... Don't hurt the guy who's leading them. He's my son. You know, I think those guys, those generals knew this was no win. I think David knew that as well. You know, there was no way that he could have somehow rescued Absalom from this scenario. You know, what? it's, it's like when one of our uh, politicians suggested that oh, why can't you just, why can't the police just shoot people in the leg? You know, no, you can't do that. You know, you've, you have to aim center mass or you're going to miss. And this is what, you know, ultimately it was a no-win proposition for sure. So they're put in that place. But here's the thing that I want us to focus on because this is hugely important, is that far from seeing David as being just a failure, as being, oh, this is the consequence of he got in his flesh and he did this and therefore what a loser he was. David was a father. Being a father meant something to him. And that didn't mean his kids ever completely understood because it's hard to imagine that a son can ever understand the father, especially like in this case, where he hasn't really been in that role. Something's happened to his kids, but... The job of a father is a tough job. It's, it's distinct from the job of a mother. I'm sorry if that offends you. But a father's primary job, well, let me put it this way. Throughout history, it has been universally understood that the strong survive. Darwin did not invent survival of the fittest. Life invented survival of the fittest. And it's the job of a father to keep their kids alive, to help them to know how to survive, to toughen them up, to help them to realize that just because something hurts, just because something isn't right, you can't just go cry and take your ball and go home. I worry about our society today because for the first time in all of human history, there is a becoming predominant attitude that actually it should be the weak that survive. And whether you believe in evolution or not, and I don't, you can understand. If what we do is keep punishing the strong and putting up the weak, that makes us weaker. Somebody else who doesn't believe in that, some non-woke country is going to come in and completely destroy us. If you can understand that, you can begin to understand David because he was a guy who I believe with all of his heart, 
He loved his kids, but he was trying to be a dad. And sometimes a dad has to do something that looks really cruel. Sometimes even the mom is going to look at what the dad's doing and go, why can't you just be more loving and gentle and everything? Because that's what moms are supposed to be. And I'm sorry if this is sexist. I'm old. But, you know, it's like, no. And, and it's not just fathers who do this. There are other people who play this role. You know, I was thinking the other day about Pastor Romaine and what he, I mean, the truth is, I'm trying to be careful here, but the truth is you will have no concept of the Jesus movement with Romaine being left out of it. He was as important to what God did at Calvary Chapel and through Lonnie Frisbee as Chuck was or anybody else was. And that's a fact. I would argue with anybody who would argue differently. But Romaine, he was crusty. His old retired Marine Corps sergeant, he could be mean to you. He could act like he didn't care at all. He could just blast you. And I could tell you thousands of people that say, I became the man that I am because of him. Because he did that to me. Because at the same time, he had a soft part to him as well. I can remember him screaming at me and saying, oh, just, just trashing me. And then later coming to me crying and apologizing. And it's like, for me, somebody who grew up mostly without a dad, that was the closest it got to somebody who would go, quit being such a, and he would say a word that I won't say because I don't want to defend it the rest of my life, but <laughs> be a man. Would you just stand up knuckle under, deal with this. That's what a father does. And most of the time, they don't know how to do it perfectly. But there's something built into them that understands. Me being a dad means me helping you clarify who you are. It's why nowadays, it's not even safe to be a dad. And so as a result, what is it? Little boys don't even know if they're boys or not. Because there's not a dad who's saying, of course you're a boy. Now, quit being a baby. Get rid of the dolls and let's live. Now, I mean, I, I heard somebody the other day say that, you know, when I was eight, I wanted to be a pirate. But I'm really glad my mom didn't poke out my eye and cut off one of my legs. You know? <laughs> but we need dads. And, and I would, anyone who's a dad can read this story and go, yeah. I understand that, man. Sometimes I have to take a hard line, and sometimes my kids don't understand it. But I know that an important part of their maturation and their identity comes from me telling them, you did this, now you're living with it, and I'm going to pretend like I don't even care, and it's killing me. That's what being a father is, and that's what we see here. Ultimately, when we see David in the end, it's like, here's a dad with a broken heart. Here's a dad with a broken heart that's very irrational. See, if he was nice and rational, he would go, well, good. He had it coming. It's about time. Now let's celebrate and move on. We got that guy out of the picture. But that's not the heart of David, who all he can think about is, I lost my son. That's powerful. It would have surprised Absalom that his dad would even react that way. But here's the thing. His heart is the same heart that God said, David is a man after my heart. You know, religion is very rational. Religion says, if you do this, then you get this. 
If you don't do that, then you get this. It's that simple. Everyone gets what they deserve. That's completely logical. What's illogical is a heavenly father who tells the story as Jesus told the story about a prodigal son where he goes and trashes his whole life and he comes back and his dad's just celebrating him. Now his dad, still the older brother, he still had all his, he got the whole, there are consequences to choices and he certainly benefited from that. But Jesus' point in the story was the father's heart is also with the prodigals. And you can't make sense of the story of the prodigal son. You just can't. Why would you not tell him, you made your choice, now live with it? Because I'm afraid that if I throw a party for you, it's going to give the wrong idea to a lot of other people. That would make sense. That'd be logical. That'd be religious. But that's not our father. And so our father describes his heart this way. His heart that causes Jesus to be hanging on a cross and extends salvation to a thief that's hanging next to him. A couple weeks ago, I did a Q&A for our season classics group, and one of the first questions they asked was, um, do you think that Jeffrey Dahmer will be in heaven? Because if he is, I'm not sure I want to be. Jeffrey Dahmer was a mass murderer who reportedly accepted Jesus right before he was killed. And I said, well, as a human, I'm like, I hope he was faking it and he's in hell. But I go, if I'm going to say that he responded to God's grace and he's not in heaven, then I'm in trouble too. Because sure, it isn't logical that a guy can kill a bunch of people and then repent and end up in heaven, just like Mother Teresa. Or of course, if you think that Catholics go to hell, then you, I'd use a bad example. But you know, it's like, no. It's his grace. It's his irrational love that all of this is about. And David here, you could not get this picture more clearly without understanding all of the passion and all of the feelings behind all of this stuff. And remember in the end... Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom. If only I had died in your place. If you know what it's like to be willing to die in someone's place, you understand the heart of a father, the heart of our God, who let Jesus become a human so that he could die in our place. He didn't just say, if only. He said, I'm going to do it. And so I see in the story, I, I can't help but identify, other than the long hair and the good looks, with Absalom. But I look at the heart of David, and I'm like, that's what God means when he says, I am your heavenly father. Because I would rather die than see you suffer. But I understand And I have to be a dad to give you an opportunity to determine what happens to you. And I think that, you know, for many of us, if we understand this and look at it, it might change the way we even look at our own dads. Now, some of us had just great dads who were always there, like a perfect picture of Heavenly Father. But mostly when I talk to people, they go, 
it was hard for me to accept God as my father because my father was blah, blah, blah. Absalom would be right with you. Oh, my father, he was distant. He didn't say much. He sometimes didn't take action when I thought he should have. And ultimately, his guys killed me. That'd be his story. Is that your story about your dad? Or do you look beyond that and go, you know, and I understand there are some dads that have no redeeming value at all. But for most of us, I think we would find that even when our dads were way less than what we felt was perfect, maybe they were just being dads. Maybe they felt like they were doing what a dad is supposed to do. And we thought, wait, why can't you be warm and fuzzy? Why can't you be, you know, just be my buddy? Why can't you be more like mom? Why can't? And it's like, understand this, man. Your chances are, if you have issues with your dad, it's because maybe this chapter will point out to you the role of a father is tricky. But a father who's really a father, they would gladly give their life for you. And you'd be surprised. See, I didn't know you cared that much. But that's our God. And so to me, when I look at this chapter, it just it gave me a lot of thoughts about my dad. It gives me a lot of thoughts about me as a dad and about so many other people who fill those kinds of roles. Men are at their best when they're filling that kind of role. And I know guys who never have kids, and yet who, like one of them, Steve, is here today, who who I have seen him be such a father to orphans all over the world. And that's why. It's not because it pays. It's not because it's like, oh, great, you know, and then I'm going to get a selfie and I'm going to send out fundraising letters. No, it's like, no, I would give my life for these people. That's a dad at its best. If you're a dad, that should come as a challenge to you. But it might also explain to you why being a dad is kind of awkward sometimes. Because a dad isn't a mom. A dad has a unique role. And anyone from the outside can judge you. But man, God has made you a certain way. And David goes, I get it. And God, he goes, believe me, I get it too. You're listening to The Balanced Word with our pastor and teacher, Dave Rolfe. Today's message is part of our study in First and Second Samuel called Kingdom Building. Stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave in just a moment. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series, again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go through the Bible in a year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or order online at thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook too by following CC Pacific Hills. Pastor Dave would love to have you join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45 and 11.30. 
Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. You can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. If we can pray for you in any way, we ask that you contact us through thebalancedword.com or by calling us at 949-362-7475. Now let's wrap things up in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story, as painful as it is to reflect on, and as much as in a perfect world we would make this story indifferently, we have to admit, man, this is, this is so real. And I thank you for our dads and any other men that you've brought into our lives that taught us how to survive, that taught us how to face everything, and taught us that we could be self-sufficient, Lord, help us to be those kinds of people in the lives of the next generation. Help us not to give in culturally to just say, well, you know, let them raise themselves. Lord, we want this next generation to know that heart of a father that we don't understand. I mean, he didn't, Absalom didn't understand David any more than we understand you, God. But at the same time, we know that you understand us. And when you gave your life for us, that was all we really needed to know. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Discovering Balanced Living Through the Word of God? You've been listening to The Balanced Word. Set aside another half hour next time to hear another study in our Kingdom Building series from Pastor Dave Roth. This program is listener supported and brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up my soul.